psalmist says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us. And faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Amen? Good morning, everyone. Church family, it's good to see you, and it is good to be here in the house of the Lord today, both in person and online. It is a delight to worship together. And if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, we really do want to extend a very warm welcome to you. My name is Randy, and uh, it's just my privilege to serve as the senior minister here at the the congregation. I'm going to be in a place called the Fireside Room. It's through these glass doors and to the right. And I'd love to have a little bit of a conversation time with you. Uh, if you have encouragements to share, if you have prayer requests, uh, please let us know. We uh, pray over your prayer requests every Tuesday morning at our staff meeting and then every Tuesday evening in our uh, elders meeting. And we've got an elders meeting coming up this week. So either on uh, paper or on your app, let us know uh, how we can Uh, rejoice with you how we can intercede for you it would be our delight to do so and uh, just a word of encouragement and gratitude to uh, Justin Craig the last three weeks he preached uh, while uh, Sarah and I were on a little break and uh, hope you uh, let him know how much uh, you appreciated God's word through him we uh, Sarah and I went on a little spring break trip to North Carolina out to the Outer Banks saw little Wright brothers history, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, got to see our younger son, Brandon, and our uh, daughter-in-law, Juliana, and then the second week, actually, I was here, um, uh, but I was hanging out with the second and third graders and uh, had a blast with them and uh, really, really appreciate and hope that you will just let our adult servant volunteers and family life ministry know how much we appreciate God's ministry in and through them. And then uh, last Sunday, I was uh, at a conference in Baylor University, and I got back uh, late Sunday night. So anyway, it's good to be together here, and it's good to be with you today. So um, I'd like to pray, and then we'll go into our teaching time. Heavenly Father, you are good. We love you. You are enough. You are enough, God. And it is so good to gather here in community today. We've had the opportunity throughout the week to meet with you one-on-one or in small groups, but this day is special, the Lord's Day, the day of your people come and make much of you together, God. And now, Lord, uh, we are going to be fed your word. You who have spoken have uh, written your word, and it is written to be read it is written to be spoken it is written to be written to be heard and it is written to be followed lord change us now help me get out of the way so that what you want said gets said no more no less our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. 
Amen. If you had 60 minutes with Jesus, what would you talk about? What would you want to know? What would be on your heart? What, what would be your agenda? 60 minutes with Jesus. Well, today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that speak about some who wanted to see Jesus. But the tables are turned, as it typically is when we meet with the Lord. Because in this passage of Scripture, instead of hearing about what's in their heart to Him, we learn what's in His heart to them and to us. Meet me in John chapter 12, verses 20 to 26. John chapter 12, verses 20 to 26. And we see an encounter that took place. Um, I want to put a tag on this message. The attractive force of the crucified king. Say that with me. The attractive force of the crucified king. One more time. The attractive force of the crucified king. And maybe to help us as we track these verses, I want you to think of this passage that I'm about to read in three movements or three segments. And uh, segment number one, time to seek. Time to seek. Segment number two, time to die. Segment number three, time to choose. Time to seek, time to die, time to choose. Think about those movements as I read John chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, 
will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. This is the word of the Lord. The whole world has gone after him. That's what the Pharisees grumbled about on that triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Jesus coming into the holy city. The crowds had swelled. It was the Passover feast, Israel's most important holy day. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. John's gospel tells us in John 12 and 13. And what kind of king is he? Well, he's not like Herod, the king. And he's not like Tiberius, the king over the Roman Empire. Oh, no. John tells us what kind of king this Jesus is. He quotes the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, in John 12, 15. Fear not, Daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So you see, Jesus is not this militant king of the Roman legions bent on conquest and, uh, uh, and that bloodlust. No, no. He is the messianic monarch of humility. He is the all-powerful prince of peace and his power is the power of love and life and light and he had been illuminating his light all throughout John's gospel John's gospel takes us through seven absolute identity statements which Jesus uttered each statement beginning with the phrase I am I am So when Moses met with God, who sent him to Egypt, to Pharaoh, Moses said, who should I say sent me? And God said, I am that I am. And it's no accident that Jesus begins each of these identity statements with the absolute I am. For instance, John 6 and 35, I am the bread of life. And then there's John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world. And what about John chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. And then there's John 10 and 11, I am the good shepherd. And and then what about John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever 
believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Amen. Oh, and then there's John 14 and 6, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then there's John 15 and 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Oh, there are other vines, but Jesus said, I am the true vine. And then he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Seven absolute identities. But these are not just opinionated assertions. These absolute identities are established by the seven signs which John explains to us in his Gospels. So these seven signs substantiate the seven absolute identities. I'm talking about John 2, where Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding. I'm talking about John chapter 4, the healing of the official son. I mean to talk about John chapter 5, the healing of the paralyzed man at the pool. And then there's John 6, the feeding of the 5,000. And don't leave John 6 before you watch Jesus walking on the water. And then in John 9, there's the healing of the man born blind. Who sinned, Lord, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither. But this, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then John chapter 11, that seventh sign, the raising of Lazarus. He'd been dead rotting, decomposing in that tomb four days. Jesus came and said, move the stone. Oh, Lord, no, the stench. Move the stone. They moved the stone. He approached the entrance, and the Bible says he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says the dead man came out. And my Bible college professor said, it's a good thing he specified Lazarus. Huh? Seven signs. Seven signs substantiating the seven absolute identities. Huh. So yeah. The whole world has gone after him. Of course, this, this air of enthusiastic anticipation surrounded Jesus on that Palm Sunday. And as if to validate the Pharisees' frustration, John 12, 20 says that on that Palm Sunday, there at the Passover were some Greeks. Greeks. How many? Don't know. More than one, plural, Greeks. What are Greeks doing at the Passover? These are Greeks. That's a Hebrew holy day. What's with that? Well, likely they were converts to Judaism. They were what you'd call proselytes. Ethnically, they're not Hebrew. They'd not submitted to circumcision yet, but had found 
truth and wisdom in the Hebrew Scriptures. They were God-fearers. Yeah, God-fearers. That's how Greek believers in Yahweh are described elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, uh, they were familiar with Greek philosophy and Aristotle and Socrates, and, and they were aware of the, the, of the thin, thin religious nature of uh, the Greek gods. It was like the waiting pool they found. It left them wanting more. And they'd come to believe in the simple, yet profound truth of the Hebrew Scriptures, the simplicity and yet the depth of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's the creator and there's the creation. Distinction there. And they'd come to believe the wisdom and the justice of the law of Moses and they'd come to a profound appreciation for what God says we are as human beings. We are image bearers. You're not just looking at a mere mortal. You're looking at an image bearer of the Almighty. And they'd come to appreciate the justice and morality of the Ten Commandments. The law of Moses was wrapped in love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The, the vertical relationship leads to the horizontal relationship. This was profound. God's word, God's word's not complicated. It is deep and profound. Oh, and I wonder if they appreciated Genesis 12, where God had called Abraham and said, through you, all nations will be blessed. I will make you into a great nation and through you, all nations will be blessed. So why wouldn't they come to Jerusalem? Ah, it was the Passover. They arrived at the temple. They were there to worship God, the one true God. But of course, they were Greek. So they could only get so far into the temple. Imagine getting up and wanting to go to church all of your life. And then you come and you realize, well, you can only get so far. See? Because, see, that was the nature of the temple. It was a series of concentric spaces. And each space was more exclusive. So you'd have the court of the Gentiles. And then within that, you'd have the court of, the, of, of Israel. And then you'd have the, the, finally the court of the, you'd have the court, of, next you'd have the court of the, the priest. And then finally that one holy of holy place, the space of the high priest, you see. They can only get so far. And then they'd heard of one who had said, I am the temple. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus. They'd heard of him, and they want to meet him. We've got to find one of his followers. Wait a minute, there's Philip. He's got a Greek name. Ducks choose ducks. The Greeks 
choose Philip. And they approach him. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. We would like to see, we'd like to have a conversation with Jesus. We, we found the life that we've been living and the belief systems in the Greek culture. There's something lacking with that. Can we talk? Can we talk? Any Greeks here today? You've lived long enough. You've read about different philosophies and beliefs and you've experimented with some of those and you've got your education and you've got your job and you've got credentials and you've got yourself established and then you found out something, didn't you? You found out that just because you're established doesn't make you satisfied. You see what's going on in American culture. You see what's happening in our world and Something is, something's missing. Something is missing. And I go back to that well-worn prayer of St. Augustine 1,500 years ago. Oh, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. <laughs> if you ever get to the point where you realize that material enoughness can never fill an empty soul, then, well, it's time to seek. Time to, time to seek Jesus. And so they go to Philip, the Scripture says, and uh, they ask for an appointment with Jesus. And I don't know what's... a verse 22 about but you notice Philip so they go to Philip and Philip doesn't go straight to Jesus if Philip is like well I don't know what to do with this what do I do with this uh well I'll go see Andrew so he goes to Andrew hey we've got some uh, uh Greeks here and they they want to see the, the master and everything well uh okay what do you think we should do well I think well, why don't you go ask Jesus well will you go with me yeah I'll go with you well will you speak to him no they came to you you let's go together so you know they Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And then Jesus gave the most unexpected answer. I mean, he didn't say, sure, bring him over. Or, well, okay, how about 2 o'clock tomorrow? Or, or, well, what's on their mind? What's he say? What's he say? Verse 23. He says, time to die. come again time to die verse 23 the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified i mean it's as if their request triggered this announcement it's time to die i don't walk by that too quickly because this is the first time jesus has said that up until now he has said, not my time. Uh, like in John chapter 2, verse 3, at that wedding in Cana, they run out of wine. Mary goes to Jesus. They run out of wine. It's a wedding. Do something. Jesus says, not my time. Or what about in John chapter 7, verse 4, when Jesus' unbelieving siblings said to him, dude, if you want to go global, you're going to have to have a marketing plan, man. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to get to Jerusalem. That's where the people are. And Jesus replied, not my time. 
And then what about in John chapter 8, verse 20? I mean, Jesus, Jesus is in Jerusalem. No, no, he is in the temple. Oh, no, he's even further in than that. He is in the belly of the temple. He's in the treasury, in the temple, in Jerusalem. He's talking with the Pharisees, and it's very clear by his message to the Pharisees that he could say something's going to get himself arrested, but yet John says the Pharisees were not able to arrest him. And why? Not my time. Yet here in John chapter 12, verse 20, some Greeks come to see Jesus. We would like to see Jesus. That phrase that ought to be etched on the top of every pulpit. Sir, we would see Jesus. Jesus' response at that time is time to die. Verse 24, nothing happens to an unplanted seed. Nothing. It must fall into the earth, planted, and when it does, it will bear much fruit. Every spring, we get an object lesson about God's intentions for our bodies. There's a field to the east of our property, and you can see what's to come. The seed will fall. Buried and planted, and in a few weeks, a miracle will occur. A miracle, and those seeds, which can do nothing unplanted, will burst forth into life. And that's where Jesus is going when he says, Amen, Amen. Verse 24, that's what some of your translations say, right? Truly, truly. Amen, amen. Amen means so be it. It's going to happen. Well, when a preacher says it, you might go, eh, I don't know, he's a preacher. But we're not talking about a preacher. We're talking about the Prince of Peace, the very Son of God. When the Son of God says, amen, amen, you can take it to the bank. And that's why when Jesus talks about a seed being buried, and then bearing forth fruit. Listen, this is why we need never fear death. Because we serve a king who in Holy Week will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But he's not going to stay there. Someone once wrote, I went through the valley of the shadow of death, but I didn't stay there. In Genesis, Joseph was sent to the dungeon, but he didn't stay in the dungeon. In Exodus, Israel slaved in Egypt, but they didn't stay in Egypt. Job scraped his scabs on the ash heap, but he didn't stay on that ash heap. David hid from Saul in that cave, but he didn't stay hiding from Saul. Esther didn't stay destined for death. Daniel didn't stay in the lion's den, and Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. All these people faced difficult, dark days, but they didn't stay there. Oh, don't miss the irony here. The falling of the seed means the lifting up of the harvest the body of christ will be lifted and in his lifting eternal life comes through his name jesus some greeks want to see you jesus says time to die 
the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. To be glorified means to be crucified. So their request was not refused. Their request was refocused. You want to see me as I am? Stick around. In a little while, you will see the Son of Man crucified and glorified. And what you will witness is not the overthrow of Roman power, but you will witness the overthrow of the power behind the Roman power. Now, is that the Jesus you're looking for? I mean, the Greeks have in mind what kind of Jesus they're looking for. But more important is what they need to see about the real Jesus. So what kind of Jesus are you seeking today? Yeah, hello. Yeah, yeah, you thought you were just a passive reader here. No, it's getting personal now. Time to meddle. You're swept up in this story. In John's Gospel, people are seeking Jesus for all the wrong things. At all the wrong places. They wanted not the Jesus who is, but the Jesus of their own image. And that's why we see Judas, who in in John chapter 12 criticizes Mary's extravagant gift of emptying the perfume over Christ. Wow! This money, this, this perfume could have been sold, and the money could have been given to the poor, and years' wages. Judas, oh, Judas was look, Judas was looking for a pragmatic Jesus. Oh, and then there were the chief priests who loitered around Mary and Martha's home. You know, raising a dead man is that's an impressive thing, but we've got nationalistic concerns. They were looking for a nationalistic Jesus. And then there's the crowd on Palm Sunday. Where were they on Friday? I mean, we all want a strong leader until we don't because we're looking for a populist Jesus. Oh, and then what about those who came just for the bread? that Jesus multiplied, and, and then the miracle of raising Lazarus. I mean, his word wasn't enough. No, it wasn't because of them. They were looking for a sensationalist Jesus. You see all these Jesuses? There's the, there's the pragmatic Jesus and nationalistic Jesus and populist and sensational. There's the self-help Jesus and the life coach Jesus. There's, and, and you know what? There's plenty of churches in this country that will give you exactly what you're looking for. But to every one of them, critics of Christ, consumers of Christ, fans of Christ, devoted followers of Christ, Jesus' response is the same. Time to die. Time to die. And listen to me. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, you need to be prepared to do that as well. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And this is no small thing. I mean, verses 27 and 28. Can you feel the abyss that Jesus is about to enter? I mean, in verses 27 and 28, it's kind of like the Garden of Gethsemane compressed into two verses. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. Yet what am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour? No, this is why I came. And then he cries out a prayer. Father, glorify your name. And without warning, a voice booms from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it. What was that? What was that? Some said it thundered. 
Others said it was the voice of an angel. Jesus knew it was the voice of his Father. It's only the third time in all of the Gospels that the Father's voice is heard from heaven. At Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. At Jesus' transfiguration, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And here in John 12, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. Jesus said to the startled crowd, that voice was not for me. It was for you. you. Can you feel something big is going to happen here? And don't read, don't read these verses too quickly because the word now, now, is repeated three times. Verse 27 and twice in verse 31. Now my soul is troubled. 27. Now, verse 31, is the judgment of this world. Judgment. It's the Greek word from which we get our English word crisis. Crisis of this world. A crisis or critical or critique, there is a dividing. There is a separating. There is a partitioning. There is a casting, a separating out. So the, so the crisis of the cross is the casting out of Satan now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now the seed falls. Now Christ is lifted. Now the devil is expelled. Not later. Not at the second coming. Not at the end. Now, right now, the crucifixion of the Holy One is the exorcism of the evil one. Holy Week is nothing less than Christ's full-scale assault on evil his lifting up is satan's casting out and that's really important for us to grasp and i'm going to be picky here for just a minute because i'm a preacher let me be picky it's not technically right to say that the crucifixion is a defeat but the resurrection was victory. Because you see, that entire weekend, death, burial, resurrection, is one holistic event in which Satan was exercised from his power over your life and my life. Oh, you didn't hear me, did you? The entire weekend, death, burial, and resurrection, all of it is when, is when Satan was exorcised. There was an exorcism that took place the weekend of the cross and the tomb, and Jesus was the one who did it. Amen? Amen. There you are. Christ was lifted on the cross so that the, the Satan could be cast out. And in being lifted from the cross, Christ lifted the one thing that keeps you from our Heavenly Father. And that is unforgiven sin. Someone said sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you plan to pay. 
And the result of sin is a defiled conscience. And that's what sin does. It just defiles us. And we're defiled by pride and defiled by self-pity and defiled by bitterness and lust and envy and jealousy. And we are defiled by self-righteousness. And the toothpaste is out of the tube. And you can't get it back in that tube. You can't change the past. You can't undo it. You can't wish it away. And we end up feeling hopeless in our conscience. And the only answer is the blood of Christ. The only answer is Christ crucified. When our conscience condemns us, where will we turn? And Jesus says, look to the cross. There's our big idea. Where We want to see Jesus. You want to see Jesus? Look to the cross. He's on the cross. You will find me on the cross. If you want to see Jesus, look to the cross. Because Christ crucified is the only cleansing agent in the universe. The crimson flow of the crucified is the only way we are purified. That's it. Time to die. That's Jesus' response to their request. And, and it's the response of love. Hear me. You cannot know the truth about the world until you know God loves you because that is the truth of the world. And in his death, he substitutes himself for us. It's his life for our life, his innocence for our guilt, his holiness for our sin, his righteousness for our unrighteousness. And you say, that's not fair. And you're right. It's not fair. It's grace. It's grace. And because of his self-sacrificing, substitutionary death on the cross, we no longer need to carry the burden of guilt. Hmm. Amen? Amen. Oh, and there's more. And there's more. Yes, verse 32. Verse 32 says, Jesus said, When I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So the arrival of the Greeks triggers the coming crucifixion. And through the cross, Jesus will gather the Hebrews and the Greeks and the Romans and the Ethiopians and the Egyptians and the Europeans and the Africans and the Indians and the Latinos and the Asians, and the Indians, and the, and the, and the Isaiah chapter 60 verses 2 and 3 says, And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now is that the Jesus you seek? The Jesus lifted up so that Satan could be cast out? So that we all could be drawn in, lifted up, cast out, drawn in. The attractive force of the crucified king. 
time to seek, time to die, and now time to choose. Time to choose. You see what John's doing here? He's poking us. He's pushing us. His whole goal is to convince us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing, we might have life in His name. That's what he said in John 20, 13, 31. But all the crowd now waffles. Well, verse 34, well, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Just who is this Son of Man? Now this, just who is this Son of Man? Now that's after the seven absolute identities, and that's after the seven signs, and that's after the voice and the raising of Lazarus, and, and well, we don't know about that. You, you know, that's the, what's this crucifixion talk? That's not very positive. You need to be more optimistic. Let's get out of Negativeville and let's go to Positiveville. My goodness, Jesus is going, walk with me. Stay with me. Trust me. You, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness take, overtake you. Come on now. The cross is coming. You want to see Jesus? You want to see Jesus? This is the only Jesus. Christ crucified is the only Christ you're going to see. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Who are you in this story? Who are you? Now, some of us are Philip, Philip and Andrew. And and, and here's here's the word for the Philips and the Andrews among us. The word is, is to live such a quality of life that the people in your sphere of influence get curious about the God you worship. Uh, there's something different about you. What's your secret? Your, your identity is not connected to this old world, and yet you care about this old world. What's with that? Wow, show me. You've got an opportunity now, right? You do, even this week, to someone. Someone's going to show up. Someone's going to ask you what makes you who you are. And you've got that opportunity. Well, why don't, you, why don't you come and sit with me Friday night at 7 p.m.? we got a good Friday service. Or why don't you be my guest at 8, 9, 30, and 11? Come. Let's sit together. Let's learn. Let's meet Jesus. Let's meet Jesus. Not the Jesus of culture, but the Jesus of Scripture. Hmm. Well, some of you may be the crowds here. Will you trust Christ? There's time. There is time for you to trust Christ. But there's not an unlimited amount of time. There's enough information for you to make a good faith decision to follow Jesus. Now, what do you want to do? Time to seek, time to die followed by time to choose. How wonderful, how wonderful would it be this week if this holy week you chose to put your faith in Jesus. How wonderful would it be for you to believe on Him, repent of your past, give it to Him, surrender to Him, and and even express your faith in baptism this week. How wonderful that would be. Time to seek. Time 
to die. Time to choose. The attractive force of the crucified.